and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at Minute 112, which begins with the alien writhing on the floor and ends with Ripley activating the thrusters. <laughs> we're uh, in the middle of this little scheme. Ripley has a scheme that she's playing out here, and we're not 100% sure what it is, and I'm not sure this minute entirely clears it up for yeah, me. Yeah, I have only one question about this minute. Yeah. Why does she turn her back on the aliens? This is the only question you have for this minute? Well, it's a big one because I've never quite understood it. And I remember even when I was watching it the first time, I've always been perplexed by that. So I, what are the possibilities? One, she's turning her back on it so it'll be more inclined to approach her. Uh, I don't know whether that makes any sense. Uh, she's afraid of it and therefore she has to not look at it so she can get up the strength to push the button. I think that any other thoughts? <laughs> okay, well, I think the second one is far more likely. I don't think there's any reason why turning her back on it would make it want to approach her more. It doesn't have any problem coming face to face with a person. So, I wondered. Okay, this is reaching. I'm going to reach here. I wondered if she thought that it wouldn't recognize her in there if she turned her back, as in maybe it wouldn't realize that. It's a person it's that a it's person just another piece, just a of machinery. piece of machinery oh. just long enough that it might just wander into the open area, I guess. Because we have to assume, okay, so I said at the beginning of the minute here, not sure what the plan is. I'm still not. But the guess that I can make is that she figures it needs to be in a certain spot to be sucked out of the So it can't grab now, onto anything. So it can't grab onto anything or whatever. So that's the plan is to draw it out. So then... Perhaps turning her back on it, she's thinking, well, it won't recognize me for just long enough that it won't just lunge at me and kill me, And but yet I can still draw it in. And then I do think, though, there's a, the obvious. So that's the like pragmatic plan side of it. But I do think that there's the element of she's terrified I'm too. Like, I think that's what I would do. <laughs> I, I, I sympathize with her. I would also probably turn my back and go, if there was a matter of timing involved, I wouldn't probably want to watch the thing either. I don't know. That's a tough one. But I think that the best explanation I can come up with is that she's hoping that it'll think she's a piece of machinery as opposed to a person just long enough that she can then right. hit the button. So then when she turns to see it. Yeah, but before that, there's a great shot that I've, again, Blu-rays, I've never noticed this before. But in the reflection of her helmet, you can see the lights, oh, the yeah. square lights go on. It's as if it's a countdown, and they seem to be syncing with that kind of purge sound that we heard before. That kind of, I'm not going to try to make the sound, but there's a purge yeah. sound that went with that image when we looked at the purge um, screen. And it sounds like it's the same thing, but it's really cool how you just see these little four square lights just kind of boom, 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 light up in the helmet. Six, isn't it? six, right, six. Three in the bottom, three on the top. Well, then I guess we can also throw in that maybe she figures, I better look at the countdown. Like, if those lights have something to do with the countdown to the point where she can actually open the airlock. Right. Maybe she's like, I'm going to turn and I'm going to look at that and I'll know when that happens. Uh-huh. When it hits six, uh-huh. I'm ready to go. Right. So, I guess that's an explanation. That could be it, too. Around. Yeah. But then, of course, her curiosity, she's got to know where the alien is before she can hit the button. So, just having the go ahead to hit the button doesn't mean that the alien's not in a spot where it could still hold on to something or or whatever would be detrimental to her plan we get the the great ripley side eye again we get this nice shot framed up in the side and this one to me is the the iconic one this is the one where she's inside the helmet and you're getting the eye turn 
and it's I love it. I think it's so the practical reason for the side eye is she doesn't turn around maybe again because she doesn't want to reveal herself. Or she's still watching the countdown. Well, I think the countdown's over at this point, right? Mm-hmm. You get the six. So that prepared to purge, we're ready to go. When it gets to six. Ready to purge, got to find out where it's at before we purge. Yeah. What she discovers when she turns is that I think it totally knows what she is, who she is. And it's much closer than she thought it was going to be. Much closer than she thought and was ready. The second mouth is out. Yeah. It was going to be over if she would have waited one more second, I think. I think that's what they're trying to convey here. Yeah. It's a terrifying moment. And, of course, she responds uh, in kind and gives a scream and fortunately has the faculties to slam the button down on the on the airlock and then she spins around anyway because <laughs> once it once it starts to depressurize her seat spins around sure and that shot's pretty great i mean i love this whole uh moment of decompression and even though it's kind of cheeseball because there's the sound of wind on the soundtrack that sounds totally like earth wind going through trees kind of sound yeah um and i know that they're embracing the sound of her breath inside of her helmet which mm-hmm. is why there's some sounds when it's purged but that would not be a sound you would hear <laughs> yes that right yeah i mean there's oxygen it's a pressurized chamber she's in the ship is pressurized so there's oxygen in there now with can we just excuse that as the sound of the oxygen leaving the ship? I don't know. I don't yeah, know Yeah, I'm sure you can excuse again, it as that, but it's it's kind of, it's goofy. But it's all right because it's exciting. And I love the fact that what, if it was in fact her plan to get it out into the open so it would easily go out, the fact that it catches on the hatch with its two claws and hangs on for dear life is great. You know, yeah. thought you got it. Nope, you didn't get it. So yeah. now she's got to go to plan 1A. Use the second part of this. Well, I wanted to point out one other thing about the depressurization moment. A bunch of debris starts flying, which is perfect. That's exactly what you should do as a production. You know, you want to illustrate what it's like to depressurize something. So you got to have some shit flying through the air. But some of the stuff that's flying through the air is loose sheets of paper. I know. It's paper. (laughs) So it's paper, which is fine because that's, you know, again, if you're going to make a a space movie, you want to have familiar things, right? We've talked about this many times. There's nothing more familiar when wind blowing, debris blowing than the loose sheets of paper. But I have a theory, Mitch. I have a theory about what this is. And, you know, way back when we first uh, first see the narcissist, we see Dallas. He's down there listening to Mozart, decompressing, seemingly just relaxing. But I, my theory is that he was on his break. He would stow away down to the narcissist and, and work on his novel. And I think that these loose pieces of paper are... The manuscript to Dallas's great American novel that he was working on all these years as he slaved away as a captain of a mining vessel. That's and it, had he been alive to see his manuscript flying out the window, it would have been the classic scene of the writer seeing his only manuscript. That would have killed him. <laughs> would have killed him. Uh, anyway. So he was doomed from the start. We do get papers rustling at the very beginning yeah. of the movie. So it's kind of nice that we have papers flying yeah. out of the ship at the very end. Yeah, I don't know if anybody thought about that consciously when they were making the movie, but I like the little bookend that it provides. It's good. I, I'm fine with it. I just think it's funny that it's on a skate pod, perhaps, there's loose paper just lying around. But there are some really crisp edits back and forth between Ripley and the alien as she prepares to give it the final blow, and, and we see the harpoon gun top of it flick out and fires away and hits the thing. And just to make it even more nightmarish, it still isn't going to do the trick. Yeah, it's it's an interesting moment. I think one thing that we have to note about the, the harpoon impact moment is that it is the first full frontal shot of the alien we've gotten in the whole movie. So 
it's impacting in two ways. Like there's a literal impact on it. I think that helps us mm-hmm. absorb it. But it's also, you could take this moment and note that it, we're in minute 113 of the movie and we're just now finally seeing this alien. And now if you look back, there's all these test shots. I don't know if you've ever watched any of them. There's a lot of test screenings for the alien, for the suit and so on. And all of them are these big full frontal shots of it coming, creeping around the corner, right, walking right. down the corridor. At some point they were thinking about perhaps using shots like that. We, there's also cut footage of like the crab walk right. to Lambert and so on. And they knew that they needed to wait until this moment. And I think at this, this is one of those few times where the zero hour is a great time to show something for the first time because we're so invested and so like forgiving of any flaw at this point, I think. That it's fine to show. And even though it's a guy but, in a suit, it's a really tall, skinny, amazing looking guy. So it doesn't look like some bad stuntman or something. That well, you, And on top of that, if the whole idea of this alien is that it somehow melds with the DNA of its host, well, then it would have probably two legs and two arms. Agreed. I don't have a problem with it. Because for one thing, I think I can I can rationalize it. Anyone might be able to look at it and go, oh, it looks, it looks phony. It looks like a guy in a suit. Well, you know it's a guy in a suit, so... I would rather rationalize a little bit, enjoy the movie. And to me, yeah, you're right. The fact that it takes on the DNA of its host would then naturally result in it having human characteristics. To me, that's creepy. Up to now, we've only seen the kind of slithery, creepy alien. But now that we're seeing that it's kind of a man, I think that's that's a step up. I think that that's actually a cool thing. And it's very creepy to me. And all of that works for me. I don't have, from here on out, might as well get it out of the way. I don't have a problem with this alien suit. It's a common thing that people do. Like, from here on with the harpoon and the cable and everything, people are like, oh, well, there's where the alien suit really shows it. So I'm fine with it. That looks great. And the fact that their gun then catches as the hatch is coming down is just one more idea. And, And this is full of ideas. So they're wanting to make it as entertaining and as exciting and putting off the actual demise of the alien as long as they can in as many different ways as possible. So I think it's fantastic that it catches and then you finally get this shot outside of the ship and it even uses its tail to try to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, it may not be the best choice, but it decides it's going to crawl into the thruster and hang on there, which does beg the question, can this thing survive in zero gravity and no oxygen? Apparently it seems that way. Or is it just, or I mean, for a while at least. It survives as long as Dave Bowman can survive when he shoots himself through I mean, the vacuum of space to get back onto the Discovery in 2001. Are we getting into the next minute by saying... Well, his tail goes in in this minute where yeah. he grabs on with the tail well, and he's starting to go in. I was thinking about making a note on that, but I'll actually save it for the next minute. But yeah, I think that's that's true. I think that the part of what's kind of disturbing about this is that it does seem to be okay there's like, she's going to have to take another step. She's mm-hmm. not going to be able to just leave it hanging out there and it's going to die and it's going to be her little, uh, you know, like the the dog in vacation. Where it's <laughs> just dragging behind the narcissist. I think it's interesting, though, because you mentioned earlier in the minute, she's got this plan A. Obviously, the plan A was to just blow it out of the airlock. I don't even know if airlock's the right term here. Cause hatch. It's just a door. Yeah, it's the hatch. Hatch. That doesn't work. But she was, she had an alternate plan. Because she brought that harpoon gun. So obviously she thought this could happen. She shoots it. 
But that's it. She didn't have a plan C, I don't think. I think from here on, we're spontaneous. We're with spontaneous Ripley. Ripley's yeah. having to plan as she goes. So now we're we're this. She's looking out the window, and I guess realizing that the thing's still alive. It's not like exploding or whatever would happen to you in space. So she's gonna have to move on to Plan C, which is in the next minute. But I want to talk more. I think it's inter- interesting that we've now shifted into spontaneity as opposed to Rip- Ripley's plan, even though we started the minute not really knowing exactly what her plan was. Yeah, and it's surprising for the audience. We're just as surprised as she is when it goes crawling back into that thruster. So yeah. I'm still on the ride. Yeah. Like, I am, I'm there. I'm right there in the slipstream with it, you know? Yep, me too. Well, I don't think I have anything else. So let's see what happens in the next minute then. All right. Well, you can find us at AlienMinute.com or on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. Find us on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast or come over to our Public page. Uh, grab one of our logo t-shirts over there. want to give a shout out to Christoph Nemeth again for composing the ambient sounds that occur at the beginning of every episode. Um, thanks again, Christoph, for that and also for being a great guest uh, when you were on the show. And uh, that's going to do it for a minute. Number 112, we'll see you tomorrow for 113.